If you want to be successful as a pastor, you must be a professional speaker, CEO, counselor, fundraiser, human resources director, master of ceremonies, and a pillar of virtue. That is the job description of a pastor, according to a recent article put out by Alexander Lang, a pastor who stepped away from his role and gave the reasons why. And those seven things, professional speaker, CEO, counselor, fundraiser, human resources director, master of ceremonies, and pillar of virtue are the summation of the pressures that are on full-time pastors, and really even bivocational pastors, anybody in that role professionally, the pressure that is on you to deliver at this massively high level in all of these distinct areas of expertise is a whole heck of a lot to bear. I've been wanting to do an episode on this since this article came out. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus from the podcast around here at Preaching Donkey. I've actually been working a lot on the Preaching Donkey website, my courses, the offerings that we have, and I'm about to reveal and unveil a lot of really cool new stuff, kind of a new look and feel to Preaching Donkey and what we offer. So that's kind of what we've been up to, but some of you have reached out and said, hey, where's the podcast? Well, we're back. This is episode 105. This is the Preaching Donkey podcast. Welcome. And this is going to kick off a series of podcast episodes on this topic. And what I'm going to do today is I'm actually going to read through his article and give my comments on kind of the whole package. And then we're going to spend some time on each one of these seven things that he says are the expertise that every pastor should have. Now, whether you agree or disagree that this is what's expected of you, or whether you agree or disagree that this should be the expectation, that's really not the point. We're going to get into that today. I think he makes some really good points. But that's really not the point of this series. What I actually want to do is, if these things are part of what comes with the territory, I want to walk through each one over the, this episode and the next seven episodes, and I want to talk about what is the intersection of pastor and counselor, pastor and CEO, pastor and human resource director. If these kind of things are expected of you, then how do you bring your best to the table? And by the way, little hint, it does not mean that you become an expert counselor. It does not mean that you become an expert HR person. It means that your leadership is such that you're able to equip the right people around you to do the kind of things that you really shouldn't be doing so that you can focus on the things that you should be doing. But I'm a little bit, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. For today, we're going to actually jump into his article. And there's so much here. And if you don't know about this, this went crazy viral when it came out. This is Alexander Lang over at restorativefaith.org. And the article is simply called Departure, Why I Left the Church. It came out on September 2nd, then he did a update on October 1st. And we're going to dive into all of it in this episode. If you're new here, my name's Lane. This is the Preaching Donkey Podcast. If you haven't yet grabbed the 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, it's actually a great companion to today's episode. And I'll tell you why. In the 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, you're going to find a process for developing yourself as a sermon writer and as a sermon deliverer, <laughs> okay? 
because that's one of the main functions that we have as pastors. We write and deliver messages. And on his list of things that he talks about, being a professional speaker, quote unquote, is at the top of the list. And so I want to put something in your hands right now that will give you an edge when it comes to being a skilled speaker, particularly being skilled at knowing how to look at the text, study it properly, and derive a sermon that is compelling and clear from it. So you can find that at preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. Preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. Pick it up there. It's free. And it's my gift to you for stopping by and saying hello. Okay, Alexander Lang writes, This past Sunday, I preached my last sermon as the pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. I have made the decision that I'm not only leaving my post as head of staff, but I'm going to be leaving the pastorate altogether. I no longer have a desire to serve as a pastor in the church. In my sermon, I told my congregation that I was exhausted from writing, memorizing, and preaching sermons week after week for 10 years, which is true. However, there are other reasons why I'm leaving that I didn't have time to discuss in my sermon, and I want to utilize this article to do a deep dive into how I came to my decision. I want to mention he's going to get into a whole lot of things that go well beyond preaching. But something he mentioned here I think is worth any pastor paying attention to. He said, I was exhausted from writing, memorizing, and preaching sermons week after week for 10 years couple things. One, obviously preaching week after week for that amount of time is exhausting. couple things I want to mention. And by the way, at no point am I trying to say that he didn't do the right thing or whatever. This is not, this is not a, a criticism of, of him at all. I, have no, I, I don't really know much about him at all. I'm just going off of his words and I'm trying to draw some conclusions here uh, and you can draw your own conclusions. One of the things that I always caution pastors about is... If you are the primary preacher at your church, in other words, as the lead pastor, if you are the one preaching most of the time, build in intentional breaks for yourself. And I don't care how you have to do it or who you have to wrangle to get them to let you do that. But if you are preaching every single week, weekend and week out, weekend and week out for 30, 40, 50 weeks in a row, it will take its toll. There's a thousand reasons why it's not a good idea. Only one of which is that it takes its toll on you. It also makes it very hard for you to be creative, for you to bring your best every week, for people to hear from, from for your congregation to hear from someone other than you. It makes all that stuff very difficult. But at a minimum, take the time away from the pulpit that you need. If the only time you're not preaching is when you're out of town because you're on vacation, that's not enough. You need to be out of the pulpit more than that. I don't know what that number is for you, but I know that he is right when he says that writing, memorizing, and preaching sermons week after week for 10 years is exhausting. Okay, so he goes on. The Great Pastor Resignation. I have become part of what is known as the Great Pastor Resignation that came in the wake of the pandemic. Barna did a national survey of pastors and, as of March 2022, 42% of pastors considered quitting. The reasons for this are myriad, but the top five reasons given are as follows. The immense stress of the job, 56%. I feel lonely and isolated, 43%. 
current political divisions, 38%. Honestly, I'm surprised it's that small. I would think that'd be like 90%. Number four, I am unhappy with the effect of this role, with the effect this role has had on my family, 29%. I am not optimistic about the future of my church, 29%. So you may feel any one of those five things, stress, loneliness, political division, the toll it has on your family, or the future of the church. He says, I can relate to all these, but in particular, the top two are the ones that figured heavily into my decision. That's the stress and feeling lonely and isolated. Being a pastor is kind of like being a parent. You can imagine what it's like to have a child, but until you're in the role, you cannot fully appreciate what it's like to shoulder the responsibility of caring for a life 24-7. The same is true for being a pastor. You think you know what to expect, but the lived experience is very different from your imaginings of what it will be. If I were to articulate my perspective on the contrast between the two, what you don't realize is how enmeshed, enmeshed you will become in other people's lives. As a pastor, you are there for all the peaks and the valleys. You are there to celebrate the weddings and the births. You are also there for the sicknesses, tragedies, and deaths. I don't think anyone becomes a pastor not knowing this is what you're signing up for. However, the reality of what this does to you mentally and emotionally is taxing over the long haul. Here's This is something that a lot of people don't understand. When you are not a pastor, right, and you're not in some type of care role where you're on call in some way, you're just living your life, working your job, whatever, your family's tragedies, crises, crises, (laughs) circumstances, situations, your family's stuff is your stuff. That's it. If something happens in your family or to someone that you care that's close to you, then you deal with it. Everyone else's issues are their own, right? Somebody else deals with that. They deal with it and the church deals with it, whatever. When you're a pastor, you have all of your own stuff the tragedies and crises and stuff that hit your family and your close friends, but you also have the weight of everybody's tragedies, crises, circumstances, emergencies, whatever. So you can imagine that it can get to a point where you never ever feel like you have a moment to breathe or a break. He says, as an example, for most of my tenure at First Presbyterian, we had around 1,000 members. Of those 1,000, only about 50% would attend on a regular basis. Out of those 500, I really got to know about 300 people beyond name recognition. What this means is I know their stories, their history, their intimate details of their lives. Sometimes this happened because they were in crisis. Sometimes I learned these things while performing functions for them like funerals, weddings, and baptisms. Sometimes this happened because we became friends. Irrespective of how I learned their story, I carry that history wherever I go. Wherever I see them, they know that I know intimate details about their lives. Yes. Oh my gosh. If you're a pastor, you can, you know that deep details that are rarely shared with others. Since I see these people almost every week, that personal information is always at the top of my mind because I will often ask how they're doing. I want to know if they're struggling or making progress. I want to know if I can offer resources to help. What you don't realize is that over time, the accumulation of all that knowledge starts to weigh you down. Your mind is a repository for all sorts of secrets. And if you're human, 
you feel sympathy and empathy toward them for their suffering. Therefore, beyond just keeping track of all that information, you're aware of the deep hardships and challenges that your congregants cope with day to day. Moreover, they look to you for guidance and hope. Like almost every other facet of being a pastor, this is a double-edged sword. It's a privilege to be given a window into these very private aspects of people's lives, but the responsibility that comes with that privilege can often be overwhelming in ways that those on the outside of the pastorate cannot fully comprehend. Yes, 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 yes. And by the way, sometimes even when you don't fully know what's going on in someone's life, they think that you know because you're the pastor or one of the pastors at the church. So they either avoid you if they're not doing well with said struggle or crisis or addiction or whatever is um, ailing them, or they smother you with they like need, they need your attention and guidance and stuff at a level that is impossible to give everyone, but they want it. So you can't do it for everyone. So you end up doing it for them, which is, which is great, but that multiplies over time. So there's a bunch of them who need that kind of attention and it can become overwhelming. I think the other thing too is I remember there were many, many times when I would have a vacation coming up and vacations were few and far between, hard to come by, difficult to get time off. And I remember always just kind of thinking like, if anything happens, my vacation uh, could be completely canceled or ruined. And if you're not a pastor, it can sound selfish. And maybe even if you are a pastor, that can sound selfish. You, you, if you're, you might be a pastor and you might be judging me for thinking that. My guess is you're not. My guess is you can relate. But what happens is I remember, you know, you spend all this money, you book a vacation, whether it's to a resort, you know, you're going to an all-inclusive in the Caribbean and it's going to be amazing, or you're just going to go spend a few days seeing family, or you're going to go on a cruise or whatever, and you're looking forward to it. You need it. You need the break. You've spent a lot of money on it. And you know, in the back of your mind that if right before you leave, something happens that would look bad for you to be gone for, like somebody dies in your church or a child gets sick and goes to the hospital or some kind of loss or tragedy happens in your community or in your church. Well, now all of a sudden that vacation that you booked, you can't really go on it. And if you go on it, you can't really enjoy it. And if people find out that you went on it, they're going to judge you for it. And that pressure can become a lot, especially when you're not paid that much. It's not like you can just, okay, fine. I spent a few thousand dollars. I lost a few thousand dollars. I'll go, I'll book a trip next week and we'll go. It doesn't work that way. Especially if you're like, if you're not the lead pastor, if you're just one of the guys on staff and you don't make that much money and you're just kind of like, well, I guess we just won't go on a vacation now. And you need that vacation. That is hard. And that's something that nobody talks about because nobody wants to sound callous or, you know, uh, cold hearted or whatever, but it's the reality. And if you're a pastor, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard. 1,000 bosses. Another aspect of being a pastor is that you don't just have one boss. Sure, as a pastor, you're ultimately responsible to a board or a governing body that oversees your ministry. However, in practice, your boss is every person who walks through the door of your community. 
When everyone likes what you're doing, it may not feel that way, but the moment a group of people become discontent with your messages or decisions, then you feel the weight of their leverage over your life. Yes. Gosh, this is so true. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I had a, f- a family that got upset with me over th- something that they, they, they felt like I had offended them, slighted them. And man, they came at me and they got other people to come at me too. And it, it was hard. Like it weighs on your life. And I, I love how he puts this. You feel the weight of their leverage over your life. Gosh, this is why I had to start taking Lexapro because it was just more than I could handle. <laughs> I couldn't sleep at night thinking about all of that weight that he talks about. In this way, the pastorate is similar to politics. A politician is elected by the people and is only as safe as the voters who approve their work. The moment the tides shift, the same beloved politician can quickly become pariah. One would think such dynamics would not be present in the church, but what many people do not realize is that it's often even worse. In my previous congregation, a member who was a former state senator for the Pennsylvania legislature refused to volunteer for our boards because he felt the church boards were too cutthroat. <laughs> Gosh, I found that to be incredible. This man worked at the highest levels of state government, and he felt politics were less toxic than volunteering for a leadership role on the board of his local church. Wow. I've been targeted. I've been the target of mudslinging. Some members of my community were so opposed to my leadership, they took steps to create a movement to have me removed from my post. At first, it was an underground movement to convince the governing board of the church that a Majority of parishioners were discontent with my leadership. When that effort was unsuccessful, they went publicly. They went public by sending out an email to the entire congregation to build enough momentum to have me forcibly removed. As a pastor, you're not going to be able to please everyone. You know that some people are going to dislike you, uh, dislike what you do. You expect to bring new people through the door who identify with your preaching, while others will leave who disagree or don't like your style. But when you see that there's a group of people whose sole goal is to dismantle your career, that is an entirely different beast that no one expects, particularly from people who supposedly label themselves Christians. Thankfully, their campaign was unsuccessful, but their efforts certainly caused damage and left me wondering, is leading the church really worth the investment if this is what I'm going to get in return? You know, it's interesting. He says that you you would think that if they don't like you or they don't like your preaching style, that they would leave. The problem is a lot of times they stay to try to get you to leave. Unrealistic expectations. Although the requirements differ from denomination to denomination, to become a pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA, you have to possess a bachelor's degree. Then you have to go to seminary and receive a master's of divinity, MDiv. For many professions, a master's is maybe one or two year program. The MDiv takes a minimum of three years. On top of this, you have to take a variety of professional exams, better known as ordination exams, and go through a series of internships in churches and hospitals. When you come out on the other side, the average salary for a PCUSA pastor is around $55,000, which is barely enough to live on and not nearly enough to pay back your student loans. Oh, gosh. 55 k On top of this, there are several areas where a pastor is expected to be proficient. First and foremost, you're expected to be a professional speaker. Personally, I love this part of the job, but many of the people I went to seminary with struggled with public speaking. By the way, if that's you, I can help you here at Preaching Donkey. Go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. 
If you fall into this category, immediately you have a problem since what most people see is your public speaking on Sunday. The second required skill is that you are like the CEO of a company, anticipating not only what the current people in your church want, but also how to bring new people through the door, how to grow the business under the conditions we're in right now. That's super difficult because as I've discussed, the culture is such that people don't really want to go to church anymore. You also have to be a professional fundraiser. Not only are you raising money for your own salary and whatever staff you might have working with you, but you are also raising money to maintain the building and help people who are struggling financially. Speaking of helping people who are struggling, you are also expected to be the counselor for people who need help. As I discussed above, sometimes you act as a confidant and other times you're helping people mediate conflict and disputes. As in a church like mine, I'm also acting like a human resources director. Yes, I have a committee who works alongside me and advises me, but I'm ultimately responsible for hiring and firing as well as creating positive workplace culture. Beyond all of these day-to-day tasks, you serve as the master of ceremonies at baptisms, weddings, and funerals, which means you rarely get a break as these events go often happen on weekends. Gosh. Further, as master of ceremonies... <sighs> People also look to you as the keeper of the Bible and guardian of orthodoxy, meaning they depend on you to correctly interpret the Bible for them. This one is actually really important because if your interpretation crosses the line into what others deem heretical, you risk members of the church questioning your authority to continue interpreting the Bible for the church. Finally, you're expected to be a pillar of virtue, meaning you must be blameless or morally pure. Your spouse and your children should all be perfect or close to it. Most importantly, you must be unconditionally loving, meaning that you have to love everyone in your congregation and show them grace and forgiveness, no matter how poorly they treat you. Putting all this together, you can see how crazy this is. Professional speaker, CEO, counselor, fundraiser, human resources director, master of ceremonies, pillar of virtue. In a normal company, you would have a different person doing most of these jobs, sometimes multiple people, Nobody is capable of being proficient at all of these skills, and yet pastors are expected to do all these things and to do them well for 55000 a year. The reason why I keep laughing about the, the money is I remember my first job that I had in a church. I was in, a, I was in the same church for 10 years, and uh, I was various different roles. Came, came to that church right out of college, so went to seminary concurrent with that role during the first few years of being on staff there, got my seminary degree, got ordained. And I was at that church for 10 years. And I was in a lot of different roles from youth pastor to uh, like family type pastor, you know, uh, next generations, family ministry. I did, uh, I was the associate pastor, kind of the number two role, functionally like an executive pastor, but we didn't call it that. We called it associate and this was at a large church in the D.C. area, incredibly expensive place to live, incredibly high cost of living. And the pay was about the same pay that my friends in the middle of the country were paid, uh, where the cost of living was half, <laughs> like less than half. And D.C. area was expensive even before everything else was. Like it was an expensive place to live before the rest of the country was like it is now. And even so, it's, it's, it's just grown. It's more expensive than everywhere else is, except for other really expensive cities. You know, you got LA, you know, New York, San Francisco. Like, you have a lot of cities that are expensive. Obviously, DC is not the only one, but DC was very expensive. My point is, my pay never, ever caught up with my position or my qualifications or my experience or my accomplishments. So what would happen is, is I would 
do well in the ministry. And fortunately, they would recognize that and they would put me in another role, give me more responsibility, let me take on more things to the point where by the time I left, I was I had a massive part in leading the entire church and its direction. And yet my pay <laughs> never, ever reflected that, even when it was c- compared to other people on staff, partly because I was just so young. And I remember thinking like, there's just no way that this is tenable. Like my family was growing at a young family, had two kids at the time, had a third on the way. And I thought, how does this church expect anyone to stick around when you can't actually live in the community? Like I didn't make enough to live anywhere near the church. And so it, it was it just, it, it's a challenge. And when you add to that, this list of things that you're supposed to be amazing at. And I know he's talking mostly about the lead pastor role, but a lot of those, I had a similar expectation because in my position there is a little bit larger church than what he's talking about. I functioned like a professional speaker, COO. I did a lot of chief operations. I did a lot of counseling. I would say fundraising fell to us as a team. I did a lot of HR I did a lot of master of ceremonies and I, of course, you're always expected to be a pillar of virtue no matter what and for not that much money. So it's hard. Unseen damage. In the New York Times podcast, first person, they interviewed Dan White Jr., a Baptist pastor from New York. Although I'd recommend listening to the whole podcast below, his church, like many others, began to split during the Trump years. People in his church kept leaving either because he was perceived as too liberal or too conservative. The constant anger and bickering left him exhausted. In the podcast, Dan describes going on a long overdue vacation. After sleeping 14 hours the first night, he came downstairs and poured himself a bowl of cereal. His hands were shaking so badly that he could barely hold the spoon. When the shaking didn't subside, he had a doctor perform a battery of tests. As the doctor interpreted the results, he explained they found no disease, but Dan's brain looked very similar to someone who had come back from a war zone and is experiencing PTSD. A psychologist then asked Dan a series of questions about the losses he had experienced in the church. He ended up counting 180 different lost relationships due to death or people leaving the church. These are all losses where he was never given a chance to mourn, but had to continue to be the leader in in his community, regardless of how emotionally painful these severed relationships might have been. The result is that Dan internalized all this unprocessed trauma, which was contributing to his neurological condition. Wow. When I heard this podcast, I was on sabbatical in England in 2022. I was in the middle of trying to discern if I wanted to stay at my post or leave the pastorate altogether. When I listened to Dan speak, I felt like someone was finally putting words to my own experience. As the pastor, I felt like a punching bag. And no matter how much abuse was thrown my way, I simply had to grin and bear it. How many of you feel that way? I bet, I bet a lot of people listening do. Dan ultimately left the church and said it was the best decision he ever made. Growth mindset versus fixed. I spent a lot of time in therapy over the years as a way of processing the challenges of the church. My most recent therapist introduced me to the concept of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. A growth mindset is when a person is willing to take chances, enjoys learning new things, and is not afraid to fail. Conversely, people with fixed mindsets don't like to be challenged. They perceive failure as the limit of their abilities. They tend to be scared of learning new things, particularly if that education disrupts their current worldview. 
I'm firmly in the camp of the growth mindset and I assured and I assumed that I was in that the entire purpose of the church. That was the entire purpose of the church. When I became a pastor, I thought the reason why this group of people gathered every Sunday was to explore deep questions about life and push ourselves to become better humans. What I have learned over the past 10 years is that my assumption was wrong. Although there are definitely some people who come to church for the reasons I outlined above, there are some of my biggest supporters. The majority of people who attend church are in the fixed mindset category. Most Christians don't want their thinking challenged. They come to church to reinforce what they believed their entire lives. From their perspective, the job of the pastor is to not push them to grow, but to reassure them that what they already that they're already on the right track. Any learning should support the party line and comfort them and their investment of resources in the church will result in a pay, payoff somewhere down the line, particularly once they reach the afterlife. This is the exact opposite of how I function. Although I always try to end my messages with a sense of hope, my goal was to make you think. Nothing was off limits. I have no problem dismantling the traditional Christian belief system in service of logic and reason, particularly if it helps us make sense of the world. Whereas most pastors askew nuance in favor of black and white thinking. I believe we discover God's presence by digging into the complexity of those details. Hence, I eventually came to the conclusion that my particular skill set and perspective is a mismatch for the institutional church. What I offer is not what most Christians are looking for, which is another reason why I've discovered, decided to move on. I realize that if I spend the rest of my life fighting a system that is not designed for someone like me, I'm going to end up an angry, bitter, broken shell of a human being. Now, whether you can relate to his approach at dismantling traditional Christian beliefs so that you can rebuild them, all that, that's really beside the point. I think what he's saying is, is that he has this idea of wanting to challenge his church to grow in their faith, in their knowledge of God, in their understanding of the world, and his church wants to be fixed. And I think any pastor can relate to this idea that people come to church to reinforce what they believe have believed their entire lives. In the coming weeks, we're going to actually look at this list of expectations, professional speaker, CEO, and so on. And we're going to try to see if these are the expectations is there a way to either level up our ability in those areas or find the right types of people to champion those in our church and take the expectation off of us? That's going to be the goal for the next seven weeks. And obviously, pillar of virtue kind of exists in a category all its own. However, there are some unrealistic expectations there. So we're going to examine what the scriptures actually teach versus what's actually expected in a lot of cases and how to set the expectation. For a lot of these, it's not necessarily just about leveling up our ability to do them or to delegate. It's about setting the expectation for what is realistic. What is a realistic expectation of a pastor when it comes to HR, when it comes to master of ceremonies, when it comes to counselor. We're going to talk about all that. I think it's going to really empower you. But the question I want you to think about, the question I want you to kind of wrestle with is, where are you right now in relation to the expectations that are put on you as a pastor? If you're a full-time pastor, if you are a bivocational pastor, what is the expectation? Do you feel like you have a thousand bosses? Do you feel like you have that unrealistic expectation? Do you feel like you are on the verge of burnout? If you are, before you decide one way or the other, before you decide like, yeah, that's it, I'm done. I want this series to be both a 
practical look at what's possible to manage around set expectations and find a better way forward and a little bit of hope that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to, the, the way we lead in our church doesn't have to leave us completely empty and lonely and dry. So this is a big task that we have in front of us. This is just the opening episode. Next week, we're going to dive into that first expectation of professional speaker. That's going to be my favorite of these because that's what we talk about here at Preaching Donkey. I'm going to give you some resources to improve your speaking. We're going to talk about how to get on a path to making sure that we have a a process and a system for improving our speaking over time. Um, And then we'll dive into CEO and leadership and what all that looks like. But for today, I want you to just kind of do an assessment. Where are you with your excitement for your role and what God has for you next? As for me, I'm cheering you on. I want you to continue in your calling, whatever that looks like. If it means continuing in your local church role, I'm here to support you all the way. If it means God might have something different for you, I'm here to support you all the way. I want you to do what you've been called to do, and I want you to do it well, and I'm here to help. PreachingDonkey.com slash 21 days is where you need to go to get the 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, and I'll see you here next week for the next episode of the Preaching Donkey podcast.